Father in heaven, I pray that you will uh, speak tonight, uh, that your spirit will move upon our hearts. Uh, pray that your words will be given and received. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. There's some morbidity and mortality, huh? Getting old, don't we do that? And we die. But my salvation will be what? Forever. And my righteousness will not be broken. So our first case is a case of hip pain. It's a 53-year-old Caucasian female with onset of left lateral hip pain. Gradual onset over several months or weeks or months with severe pain and antalgia, that's painful gait or walking, developing over the last few days. She had tenderness over the proximal lateral femur, pain with weight bearing and range of motion. And if you look carefully at this x-ray, uh, those of you who look at x-rays, you see at the arrow, that's where the pain is. It's nice when the pain is labeled on an x-ray. I wish they could design an MRI where there'd actually be a red flag that showed up where the pain was after the scan. But if you, if you look carefully there, you see a little fluffy calcium maybe, what is that, uh, next to the bone. Now, um, the reading was no osseous abnormality. The soft tissue calcium in the region of concern, yes, this was con concern, it was painful, could represent vascular calcifications, myositis, ossificans, or other soft tissue lesion. Consider MRI for further evaluation. Ultimately, a CT may also be required for complete evaluation. Those radiologists, more and more tests. But uh, if you have pain, do you want to know what the cause of the pain is? Yes, you do. If you have extra calcium there, and it could represent a other soft tissue lesion, would that be of concern to you? Well, of course it would. So here's the MRI. What do you see? You see the bone. It's kind of dark there. And then you see in the muscle there's this kind of light area of some concern. What do the radiologists have to say about this? Abnormal edema and enhancement of the insertion of the vastus lateralis with disrupted tendon fibers and an associated cortical abnormality. Differential diagnosis, that means what could this be, includes an avulsion injury. However, a soft tissue mass is not entirely excluded. Boy, I wish it was excluded. Uh, certainly the patient wished it was excluded. Um, and you can see on the CT scan that was recommended, you still have the same kind of finding. You see some calcification there next to the bone. You see that? I'm not sure how the pointer on this works. I'm afraid I'll shut this off if I push the wrong button. Oh, there it is. Okay. So you can see the calcification, a little cortical erosion. Well, what's wrong with a little cortical erosion, huh? Tiny region of left posterior femoral cortex disruption with amorphous calcium in the adjacent muscles. Differential diagnosis, there's that word again. Includes a cortical lesion in the region of concern, as well as benign and malignant cortical and soft tissue lesions. Well, hmm. Have you ever been faced with a diagnostic dilemma? What is this? What do I do with this? How aggressive should I be with this? How should I treat this problem? How, what do you do about this? Should you get a biopsy? I mean, then the pathologist can put it under a microscope and tell you, are these malignant or benign cells, right? That's one thing to do. Uh, if it's something benign, you can just watch and wait and see if the pain goes away and see if it gets better. If this was you, what would you, you know, would you want somebody to wait, or would you want to know what's going on? Would you want a good diagnosis? Well, you could research the experience of others. Has anyone run into something that looks like this? 
Um, maybe someone else has obtained images of a patient that had similar pain and figured this out, or a pathologist looked at it. Somebody did a biopsy, and uh, Dr. Bivens already knows what this is, probably. What would you do, and, and patients often ask you this, well, what would you do if this was your mother? Or what would you do if this was one of your family members? And that's a good question. You know, you think about your family. Well, what would you do if this was one of your family members? Well, it just turns out this was one of my family members. And uh, it's my wife. And she's sitting here, so you know the story doesn't end too badly. But um, the story really got me thinking. In fact, um, when I took the presidency of Amen, I had a little worry because I'd listened to Mark Ranzinger's story last year. Any of you hear that? That was a memorable uh, story. So I thought, okay, what's coming? And uh, when this happened, I, I thought, oh boy, it's here. Because for 24 hours or so, I didn't know what this was. I thought this might be something life-threatening. You know, I was envisioning, you know, reconstruction of the proximal femur, hip replacement, you know, all of these things. Um, and we'll um, get back to this case a little bit later. Well, our next case is a mass, ca mass casualty case. Now, if you were faced with a mass casualty like this, something of uh, um, large proportions, anybody who wants to tackle this case? Anybody, medical, doctor? Um, okay, here, here, there's been a lot of casualties here. Is there anybody that can step in and help this? Um, you might say this was of biblical proportions because that's actually where the story comes from. Ezekiel was taken by the hand of the Lord. It says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now, it's interesting that here's this valley of bones, and the Lord did not call a physician. Who did he bring to show the problem to? A prophet, right? A minister, if you will. Minister of the gospel. I think that may be significant. So we see the proportions of the problem. And then we see what, what happens next. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So what do we see here? We see a promise, right? We see the power of God. We see what he's planning to do. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, 
prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So what do we see here? We see the pouring out of the Spirit. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. We find this story in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so I like to think about bones and connections and ligaments and, and things like that. We see this prophetic panorama in Ezekiel 37. We see the proportions of the problem. A lot of people are dead. You might say this is a corporate problem. All of Israel is impacted, right? The whole of Israel is just spiritually, of course, this is a metaphor laid waste. We see the power of the spoken word, a miraculous joining together happens. What's the title of our conference, Phil? It's joined together. We want to see this happen. We see the pouring out of the Spirit. We see God-breathed spiritual life breathed into what needs to happen. We see people coming alive. We see the promise of God being fulfilled. It's performed by God and not man. All man can say is, Lord, you know how this is going to happen. And one thing I find very interesting, this, um, the word for bone in, the, in Hebrew is etzem. Uh, it's bone, essence, or very substance. So you get this idea that the very substance of humanity is just laid completely waste. We don't have the connections we need. We don't have the life we need. We're just dead bones. But then God promises to send his presence through his spirit and to make the connections, to bring his very essence into play. Here's a word from Ellen White. It is not the human agent that is to inspire with life. The Lord God of Israel will do that part, quickening the lifeless spiritual nature into activity. The breath of the Lord of hosts must enter into the lifeless bodies. In the judgment, when all secrets are laid bare, it will be known that the voice of God spoke through the human agent and aroused the torpid conscience and stirred the lifeless faculties and moved sinners to repentance and contrition and forsaking of sins. Whose job is evangelism? It's ours, yes. But who's to speak? Whose voice is it to be? It's to be the Lord's voice, His word. It will then be clearly seen that through the human agent, faith in Jesus Christ was imparted to the soul and spiritual life from heaven was breathed upon one who was dead in trespasses and sins, and he was quickened with spiritual life. So as we look uh, at this case, history, if you will, 
of this mass casualty. We see how God addresses the problem. He addresses it by speaking his word and by breathing spiritual life. And we see, we often see the world before us and we see the people around us with this problem. But let's bring it closer to home. Not only does this simile of the dry bones apply to the world, but also to those who have been blessed with great light. For they also are like the skeletons of the valley. They have the form of men, the framework of the body, but they have not spiritual life. But the parable does not leave the dry bones merely knit together in the forms of men, for it is not enough that there is symmetry of limb and feature. We don't want to be Christians in form, right? We want to be Christians truly. The breath of life must vivify the bodies, that they may stand upright and spring into activity. Is amen an organization of activity? We certainly want it to be. We want to go from broken to blessed. We want God's blessing. These bones represent the house of Israel, the church of God, and the hope of the church is the vivifying influence of the Holy Spirit. What do we call that as Adventists? The latter rain. The Lord must breathe upon the dry bones that they may live. The Spirit of God, with its vivifying power, must be in every human agent that every spiritual muscle and sinew may be an exercise. Without the Holy Spirit, without the breath of God, there is torpidity of conscience, loss of spiritual life. Many who are without spiritual life have their names on the church records, but they are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know about you, but that makes me think. Is that me? They may be joined to the church, but they are not united to the Lord. They may be diligent in the performance of a certain set of duties and may be regarded as living men, but many are among those who have a name that thou livest and are dead. Unless there is a genuine conversion of the soul to God, unless the vital breath of God quickens the soul to spiritual life, unless the professors of truth are actuated by heaven-born principle, they are not born of the incorruptible seed which liveth and abideth forever. And this, unless they trust in what? The righteousness of Christ as their only security, unless they copy his character, labor in his spirit, they are naked and they have not on the robe of his righteousness. What's the first thing we need? We need to trust in the righteousness of Christ as our only security. The dead are often made to pass for the living. For those who are working out what they term salvation after their own ideas, have not God working in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. This class is well represented by the valley of dry bones, Ezekiel saw in vision. How does God actually, what's the basic science behind this? What, how does God actually carry out this transformation? The first stem cell transplant what was it? How did God form new life? He took Adam, says the Lord caused a great sleep, deep sleep to call, fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. How do you think Adam felt about this new companion? What did he say? It says, now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Uh, what, was, 
What was Eve's DNA? Where did that come from? Came from Adam, right? That's how intimate that was. Her epigenetics, well, I don't know how much there was there because God just put Adam to sleep. Um, God's not only an orthopedic surgeon, he's an anesthesiologist. And he's a forensic pathologist too, right? He knows what the problems are. But look how the Apostle Paul takes this and, and uh, talks about something that God has done for each of us. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And he goes on to say, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now we quote that at marriages, right? But what, who, what is Paul applying this to? He says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, 30 to 32. You know, Adam had an anesthesiologist. It really didn't hurt him at all to have a rib taken and have E formed. The stem cell process, you know, God, I, I'm sure, accelerated all the culturing and all the connections that needed to happen because he's God. and He can actually just speak into existence. But for some reason, he did it different for Eve. He didn't just speak her. There was this connection. And Paul tells us that this intimate connection was based or was primarily to teach something concerning Christ and the church, or Christ and humanity. You know, Christ himself, if you will, has given us a stem cell transplant, humanity. He's injected a new reality in humanity. He became man. He became human. He took our sin upon him. He worked out righteousness and he died the death of sin. So his graft is perfect, right? It's a perfect graft. 100% take. If you take it, it's 100% fusion. But did creating this graft cause him any pain? The result of hastening or hindering the gospel we think of it, we think of, if at all, in relation to ourselves and to the world. Few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a, ref a ref revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin from its very inception has brought to the heart of God. This whole process has been exceedingly painful to God. As the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in pain, the heart of the infinite Father is pained in sympathy. Our world is a vast Lazar house, a scene of misery that no pen can picture, a misery that we dare not e allow even our thoughts to dwell upon. Did we realize it as it is, the burden would be too terrible. We'd have a meltdown. Yet God feels it all. In order to destroy sin and its, re and its results, he gave his best beloved and he has put it in whose power? Our power by cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Here's how I see it. The righteousness of Christ is like the skeletal framework for a body. We had the language this morning at the um, morning devotional this, uh, this picture in Revelation of this pillar 
one pillar holding up the entire temple. And that pillar is? It's his righteousness, the lamb slain. It's his righteousness that stands firm. Apart from him, we are hopelessly dead. His life and death secured life for all men in him. He who has the Son has the life. That's eternal life. God has given that to all men in Christ. He was motivated by love and lived by faith. So when we get his graft, we get his stem cell, what happens when we look at other people? How do we see them? Do we see him like them like he saw them? What does 2 Corinthians tell us? We judge thus because one died for all, then all were dead or all died. And now we don't see anyone according to the flesh anymore. That means we see them like God sees them. His faith and love are what gives life to us. And we cannot connect or flesh out our ministry, either individually or in amen, without his personal presence. We need him indwelling us. How are we to be joined together? What is the joy of the Christian? It is the result of the consciousness of what? The presence of Christ. What is the love of the Christian? It is the reflection of the love of Christ. It is the effect of the operation of the Holy Spirit. Looking to the cross of Calvary, we see Jesus dying for the sins of the world in order that by his death, life and immortality might be brought to light in behalf of the contrite soul. Jesus is all in all, and without him, we can do nothing. Without Christ, spiritual life would be impossible. This principle is witnessed by the prophets. If you just look at uh, some of the metaphors, the language that is used, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. And then the, the prophet David, the King David, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Sometimes God has to lay us out in the valley. <laughs> All the bones could be examined. You can see where the pathology is. And then the bones can rejoice because he can put things together. Interesting thing, though. Christ's bones were never broken, Right? When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. John 19, and 36. And then this text that I read at the, at the beginning, I won't read the whole thing again. He says, my righteousness will not be broken. This is the framework we need in order for the body to move, the body to stand. If you didn't have a skeleton, what would you be? a blob, and you couldn't move, right? We must have the proper framework in order to move and to, to have the leverage we need. And that, I would suggest, is the righteousness of Christ. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. And you're probably familiar with this text. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. We're told that in this time, in the end time, one subject will swallow up every other. Anyone know what that is? Christ, our righteousness. 
The Apostle Paul tells us that the new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And our desire, of course, is to be found in him along with the Apostle Paul, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Well, how does faith come? It comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But that word is in our hearts, in our mouths. The Spirit brings that witness. And then God wants that word, the word of his righteousness, the word of his work in us, to become like a fire. Jeremiah, the prophet, says, His word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. Our call is to minister to others. We've been called to study Isaiah 58. That's the work of medical ministry that Sabbath keepers especially need to understand. In fact, we're told that we can't be true Sabbath keepers unless we fulfill the first part, well, the last part too, of course, of Isaiah 58. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Well, praise the Lord, we can minister to people in our practices, in our communities, in these clinics. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. Ye shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. One way to strengthen bones is to do what? Where's Teeny Finley? Is she here? Probably packing. They have a long trip tomorrow. Um, she's probably not, wouldn't mind if I said this. She had osteoporosis. But she cured her osteoporosis with, essentially, exercise. We may have osteoporosis too. And even though we receive righteousness from Christ, his righteousness is not a static gift that we just get and sit on. It's an active principle, like fire in our bones. It's a living, working thing. My prayer is what Ellen White's prayer was for the people that were at a meeting that she was at there in the early 1890s. When you go from this place, oh, be so full of the message that it is like fire shut up in your bones. You cannot hold your peace. It's true. Men will say, you are too excited. You are making too much of this matter. You do not think enough of the law. Now you must think more of the law. Don't be all the time reaching for this righteousness of Christ, but build up the law. Let the law take care of itself. And uh, I think we heard earlier last night that the law can take care of itself because you can't break the law. It will break you. So we don't really have to take care of the law in that sense. We have been at work on the law until we get as dry as the hills of Gilboa without dew or rain. Let us trust in the merits of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. May God help us that our eyes may be anointed with eye salve that we may see. What language is that? That's the message to the church of Laodicea. God helping us, we will draw nigh to him. And he says he will draw nigh to us. Do we believe? Will we come in God's appointed way? May the Lord help us and enlighten us that we may go forth from this place as they went forth to proclaim the truth after the day of Pentecost and there were souls converted. And they could not resist the testimony. Isn't that the response we want to the message? No resistance, like fire through the stubble. She said, 
again, I wish to meditate, to pray that I might know in what manner we could work to present the subject of sin and atonement in the Bible light before these people. They were greatly needing this kind of instruction that they might give the light to others and have the blessed privilege of being workers together with God and gathering in and bringing home the sheep of his fold. What power must we have from God that icy hearts, having only a legal religion, should see the better things provided for them? Christ and his righteousness, a life-giving message was needed to give life to the dry bones. And references have been made earlier in this conference to that era. You see, this is looking back at Minneapolis. And there's a message there. I encourage you to look at it, to study it, to uh, accept of the righteousness of Christ and his personal presence. The right arm needs a body, and the body needs a right arm. But if the body is sick, that right arm will remain withered. And if the right arm is withered, even if the body is healthy, um, it'll send messages and the hand may not respond. So we need both. So our last case of the three cases is that of a 60-plus-year-old wrestler. So it's a sports medicine case. He was born a wrestler. In fact, he was wrestling before he was born. He and his brother would have matches before they were born and uh, see who could, who could get out first. Because getting out first was important. Why was that? Yes, he'd get the birth right. Now, maybe there were some epigenetic effects here. Um, you know, there were some struggles and things, I think, up the family tree. Some things happened. Probably affected the third or fourth generation, Bob, right? Um, now, he continued wrestling. He had a vigorous lifetime training. Now, he wrestled with different things and different, different people. He continued to wrestle with his brother for the birthright. And um, also, he had to wrestle with his uncle, or father-in-law, I should say, his father-in-law, for his wife, or wives, should I say, and any kind of income, he had to wrestle. He was an excellent strategist. He knew how to wrestle. And he had God on his side because he had uh, had that vision of the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And the ladder represented what? Christ our righteousness. So he had, he had what he needed. And he was trusting God. He was a leverage expert. He knew how to leverage the advantages that God gave him to the best. Um, in fact, you know, the Laban kept changing the terms of the agreement, and uh, Jacob just kept getting blessed, and he would move the mandrakes around, and, and as far as he knew, he was, he was helping things really go in his favor. In fact, when, uh, when Laban came after him after he left, he was quite... Um, quite emphatic as he talked to Laban, uh, saying, look, I did all these things. I watched these sheep. You didn't lose anything. I was awake at night. I was awake at daytime. Sounds like a doctor. He was working hard. And it paid off. Um, he said, unless God had blessed me, you know, I wouldn't, you, would, I would have, you wouldn't have anything, you know, or I wouldn't have anything. God blessed me with all of this. But there was a problem that this wrestler had. You know, if you're wrestling, you may be strong. Of course, you need to be, your strength needs to be 
balanced, right? Because you have to have the right leverage. Anybody wrestle here? Anybody ever wrestled? Okay. You have to have the right mindset, right? If you think you might lose, what will happen? You lose. Well, he was paralyzed by the fear of losing. And we, we know of this story in Genesis uh, chapter 32 and 33. We won't turn there, but you know the story. He did all the planning he could. Um, he sent all the gifts ahead of time. They were initially rebuffed by Esau. Um, he divided the children and women, two groups, and sent them over. And then he stayed behind to what? To do what? To pray. And he was going to pray all night without ceasing. That's a righteous thing to do, isn't it? He was going to ask God for what he needed. So uh, the divine sports medicine physician decided to come and help him, give him an office visit, a night call. So first, he did a strength analysis of Jacob. He met him in the field and tested his strength. Jacob wasn't sure he was strong enough to go through this conflict. He did a little muscle testing. And then, um, not only a sports medicine uh, physician, but a one who's willing to do some minimally invasive surgery. And I'm not sure exactly what God did. Um, I, you see the picture, you see the paintings, and you see Jacob leaning on his staff, and I wonder, well, maybe he had a hip dislocation. But if you read on, it says that the children of Israel no longer eat the muscle that shrank. So what was that? I'm thinking maybe it was a, a thermal shrinkage of the iliopsoas or... or uh, Maybe there was a hip capsulotomy, I don't know. But Jacob um, lost some strength or some leverage in his lower extremity and his body. But the Lord had, had something that would help him um, gain the victory over the struggle, the, the wrestling struggle, and that was some upper extremity strengthening. Jacob had to hang on for dear life with his arms. And he did. What did he say? I won't let you go until you bless me. So what do we learn from this story that we could apply to our own personal experience and maybe the experience of amen? We could apply it corporately into our church at large. Can we win by losing? Depends on what we lose, right? If we lose confidence in our own strength, our own leverage, our own ability... We can be made strong in weakness, like Jacob was. The right hand can find its true strength as it grasps hold by faith on the author of faith. And the name changer is the game changer. That is, the one who can give us the new name that we heard about Philadelphia earlier today. We need a new name. We need the name Christ, our righteousness, right here. The Lord desires his church to be a perfect body, not all arms, not all body without arms, but body and arms together, and every member working as a part of the one great whole. As the right arm is connected with the body, so the health reform and medical missionary work is connected with the third angel's message and is to work efficiently as the right arm for the defense of the body of truth. For defense of what? 
the body of truth. So we're not here just to do health ministry. We're here to do it so we can defend the body of truth. How does that work? The medical missionary work is to be the work of the church as the right arm to the body. The third angel goes forth proclaiming the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The medical missionary work is to be the gospel in practice. All lines of work are to be harmoniously blended in giving the invitation, come, for all things are now ready. You know, when we look in people's eyes and we see them for who they are in Christ, not who they are in themselves or who they are in Adam, that does something to them. That awakens faith in them because we have faith in them as God has had faith in us by sending Christ to save us. And this is how ministers and doctors are to work in perfect union. As the physician instructs the people in the principles of true temperance, and as a guardian of souls gives advice to those who are sick in mind and body, the medical missionary work as the right arm of the body is doing its work. Countless are the opportunities which come to the physician to warn the careless, cheer the consulate and hopeless, and wisely prescribe for the health of the suffering. He is to point his patients to the great physician who can heal both soul and body. And you're familiar with this. There's no division to be had between the medical missionary work and the gospel ministry. Both are to work in harmony. Then the salvation of the Lord will be revealed. Well, if we think of this analogy again, what's our weakest point? What's the body's weakest point? Does it have anything to do with Jacob's story? The Lord says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. This is not a one-time, a one-off process. This is something that needs to happen how often? At every advanced step heavenward. We need to recognize, individually and corporately, whatever has been accomplished, and we praise the Lord for what has. All our good works are dependent on a power outside of ourselves. A continual reaching out of the heart after God, a continual earnest heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of the soul before Him, hanging on for dear life. Only by constant renunciation of self and dependence on Christ can we walk safely. We need the divine stem cell transplant. We may be active, we may do much work, but without love, such love as dwelt in the heart of Christ, we can never be numbered with the family of heaven. Do you want that gold? I do. Sin's like cancer, you know. We saw that calcium sitting outside the bone. If bone is righteousness, you have calcium outside of where it's supposed to be, that's, I think, a good analogy for self-righteousness. It's not in the righteousness of Christ. It's kind of branching out to do something a little more dramatic. Well, that usually causes problems, causes erosion of the righteousness of Christ affecting us. It causes pain to ourselves and others. It makes us less effective. We can't, we have a limp. We have a corporate limp. So back to our first case. Um, there's two main possibilities for that case. One is 
osteosarcoma, which is a cancer. Uh, the other is one that's less well-known, but sometimes mistaken for osteosarcoma, and biopsies are done unnecessarily. And that is calcific tendonitis of the gluteus maximus tendon, kind of like rotator cuff tendonitis, but in the hip. Never seen that before until this case. But I believe the Lord gave it to us, if you will. Well, first of all, um, gave me an appreciation for my wife. I love her very much. I spent the better part of a day seeing patients while imagining what life would be like without her. How do you think the Lord feels about his bride? He wants his bride. And he wants her to be healed. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I've answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. The prophet declares, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message. And conviction will follow wherever it is preached in the demonstration of the Spirit. You see this? God has spoken his word. This is the promise. The bones will come together. They'll be joined together. The righteousness of Christ will be established. And the spirit will be breathed. And this message will be proclaimed. How do we move from broken to blessed? We need to know our diagnosis and pathology. We need to know the power of the word. We need to know the ministry of the spirit and experience the, experience, the ministry of the spirit. We need to wrestle with our weakness. Actually pray that the Lord will reveal to us where self is still alive. We need to accept and exercise the faith of Jesus. He believed in us and we need to believe in others. And when we believe in others as he believed in us, we go to them and we tell them who they are in Christ and what the uh, spirit of prophecy says that they are to be in Christ. We believe what they will become. We're to have the right framework, Christ and his righteousness to swallow up everything else. Is that your prayer for yourself and for amen? If it is, can you raise your hand? Wonderful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we... Praise your name for your, the power of your word, for the promise and comfort of your spirit, for the divine stem cell graft that gives us new life in Christ. And we pray for amen, that your vision of the future will be fulfilled in a healthy, vibrant, living body, the gospel in practice, Expressed in the right arm, the medical missionary work, that souls will be won for the kingdom, and that we can rejoice with them on the sea of glass. Soon we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org 
Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.